Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, good morning. Uh, uh, welcome. My name is Drew Bennett. I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the Redeemer. There are so many of you um, that I look out and see and don't necessarily recognize, and we are humbled and grateful that you are here with us this morning. And so if you're a first-time first time guest with us, we welcome you. If you are uh, from our sister church covenant, we welcome you as well. Um, this is a big day for us, and so lots of people have been, as I've been running around this morning, have been praying for rest for me. Um, and let's pray for rest for one another, because as we come to the scriptures this morning, we're in the middle of a series in the book of Deuteronomy, but the, but the fundamental way we are approaching Deuteronomy is we're looking at the Ten Commandments found in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and then we're springboarding from each of those commandments into a passage uh, later in the book of Deuteronomy that kind of opens up or expands or or gives greater detail to the commands that are found there in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So you'll see in your worship folder as we read the scripture together this morning, we'll begin in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and then we will move to Deuteronomy 15, a selection there in Deuteronomy 16, talking about the theme of the fourth commandment, the call to rest or to do and to bring Sabbath rest. So if you follow along with me, that would be great. It's printed for you there. It'll also be on the screen behind me. It's a long passage of Scripture. Hang in there with us, uh, and we will get through this, okay? Let's read together. Deuteronomy 5, verse 6, then 12 through 15. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And then from Deuteronomy 15 and then 16, talking about the Sabbath year and the feasts that the Lord prescribed for his people. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact of it his neighbor, excuse me, he shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of the foreigner you may exact it, but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall borrow from none. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any town, Within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but take, but you shall open your hand and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eyes should look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely. And your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because this, for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. 
Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and the poor in your land. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. And then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall remember that you are a slave in Egypt and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall keep the feast of booth seven days when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose, because the Lord your God will bless you in all you produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. This is God's word. Uh, to this point in this series, we have been looking at some general instructions from the Ten Commandments, commandment number one, to give our wholehearted allegiance to the Lord and not to worship idols, uh, to not try to control or manipulate the Lord, and to not live as if we own him, but as if he owns us, the second command, to worship him and to live our whole lives in holiness because his name is tied to how we live as his people, so we must take his name in reality and not in vain, and that was the third commandment, that we must know him as Lord who has sovereign authority over heaven and earth. And even the smallest details of our lives, what we eat, and we must know him as Savior. But today we come and we get more explicit and more specific. We come to the question and the issue of the fourth command or the Sabbath. And it's a very controversial topic because there's so many differing opinions about what is required of Christians who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You have this continuum probably in this room, but, it's, but you know, definitely in churches and even among evangelical churches, all the way from, you know, one side of things, which would be, you know, there would be some churches who would say there's no, we have no obligation to keep the day, you know, all the way to, to a Seventh-day Adventist church where there'd be a strict literalism of you keep the day, and not only do you keep the day, but you keep it on Saturday rather than Sunday because that's when the Old Testament, you know, tells you you should. And so I, I just have to say to you, we don't have time to sort all of that out this morning, and if you have lots of questions or you're really interested in the topic, uh, then you're going to be thoroughly dissatisfied with the next 20 minutes. So can we just set expectations? And you can go to our website, and on our website, I put it up this week, uh, a friend of mine, Adam Davidson, who's the Director of Worship and Arts Ministries at Trinity Presbyterian Church in Lakeland, we've written a 25-page paper so all the detail you can imagine on, on our reflections on the text that we're deriving some of our thoughts from this morning. My interest this morning, however, is not to provide a theology of the Sabbath and answer all of the controversial issues. It's to help us to begin to practice the Sabbath well. That's my goal. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to rest. So the issue, and we've sung about it, Jonathan's prayed about it. The issue really is rest. The Sabbath is about rest. And so on the Sabbath, the Israelites were to do no work. They were to rest. But I need to, before I even get into the, to the 
the meat of what I'm going to say, I need to warn you of two things when we think of this issue and this concept of rest. The first is, warning number one, it is not passive but active. That we have to be really careful to understand that the true intent of the fourth commandment, because the idea of the Sabbath rest has become fashionable in our culture, (laughs) but here's the way we talk about Sabbath. Take time for yourself. Take a break. Go to the spa. Right? Yeah! Get a pedicure, you know, or a back rub. You need a break. And what's happened is, is the narcissism that, that we live with in our culture has invaded and skewed our definition of the word Sabbath. That the Sabbath doesn't mean take a day off. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. It's not, and this is the way my wife put it, and she can say these things so much better than I can, typically anyway. It's not an escape from reality. It's an opportunity to re-enter reality. So it's not, see the Sabbath, we're not passive in this resting, we're active, but let me say a warning number two, it is, we're, we, it is really not negative in its connotation. It really is positive. It's not don't, but do. And Moses' choice of words is very important in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. When the Ten Commandments were given in Exodus, he said, remember the Sabbath. But here in Deuteronomy 5, he says, observe the Sabbath. We do it. We practice it. We're, we're active in it. So two warnings there as we come to the scripture to talk about rest. And I want to do just that this morning. Let's talk about this Sabbath rest and just ask three questions. What is it? Why do we need it? How do we do it? And then try to make some applications. Okay, Sabbath rest. What is it? Why do we need it? How do we do it? Let's start right here. Sabbath rest. What is it? What is the rest God is calling us to in this command? Okay. I've already said the command here in Deuteronomy is different than it is in Exodus. And in Exodus, the rationale for the command is rooted in God's rest on the last day of creation. So from Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath day on it, you shall do no work for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and rested on the Sabbath day. So the command to rest every Sabbath is rooted in God's rest. Our rest is to mirror his rest. And, and so we can say, if we think about what, so what was God's rest? What was the rest that God inhabited on the seventh day? Well, it obviously isn't a cessation of activity. God wasn't exhausted and needed a break. Are you with me? He's all-powerful. He, 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 it wasn't that he needed to lie down and take a nap because it had been a hard week. The rest that the Bible is talking about there in Genesis is, I would define it this way, the utter satisfaction, pervasive peace and joy in what he had made. The creation perfectly reflected God's intentions. There was shalom, there was shalom, perfect order and complete wholeness. And God looked at it and pronounced it good and he rested. I, I tried to get at kind of what was going on here. Have you ever, and, and lady, I don't know why it seems so much easier to apply this to, to some of the things around the house, but women, you know, ladies, have you ever had just a hard day? This is how it works at my house. You know, we work and we, we just work all day long to get everything cleaned up, to get everything right, in, you know, in its place, to get the, the floors scrubbed and the counters cleaned off and all the, you know, every, every all the toys put away and everything. And then at the end of the day, you finally... See, that's Sabbath. Or if you've, um, what's the other analogy? If you've ever cooked a meal 
and you've spent hours and you know you have to my philosophy is the the, the meal the, how good the meal is is completely dependent upon how big a mess you make in the making of the meal right other mo- dads husbands you with me amen and so you've you've just you've made a huge mess You've cooked this amazing meal. It's taken hours. You've cleaned everything up. You're finally at the table. The, the friends you've invited over are there, uh, and, and you're enjoying the meal, and you just, I mean, that's Sabbath. Uh, we have a Sabbath experience in our household every week. It's called Clean Sheet Day. And I dare you to try to get into a bed on Clean Sheet Day before you've taken a shower. The wrath of Mama will come down upon you like you can't imagine. You just get in bed on clean sheet day and it's just everything just feels the way it's supposed to, right? I mean, that really is that in just some way, that is what this Sabbath principles is, is calling us to. God, God looked at what he had made and it was perfect. There was shalom and he pronounced it good. Now, what's different here in Deuteronomy is the motivational clause. Here in Deuteronomy, the rest that we're called to is not because God rested in creation. It's because they were slaves in Egypt and he had brought them out with a mighty hand. You see that in verse 15? of chapter 5, the command is rooted not in creation, but in redemption. The slavery they had experienced there was harsh and oppressive. There was no rest for them while they were in Egypt. They worked all day, seven days a week. There was no satisfaction and joy and peace. They were under hard labor and toil, and the Lord saved them and gave them rest. And so God created us for rest. He's saving us for rest. And when the power of God comes into your life, and he gives you he gives you rest. And yet in many ways, the Bible says it's incomplete, that there's still a rest that is to come, that we will one day know the fullness of the Sabbath and rest, that Jesus will come again and make all things new. And God will once again say it is good. And the new creation will again perfectly reflect the shalom of God. And we will live in utter satisfaction, delight and peace. And so every Sunday when we come to celebrate this Sabbath principle, we are both looking forward and looking back. We are, we're looking back to the very beginning pages of Genesis when the man and the woman walked and talked with God in the garden in the cool of the day and lived in perfect communion with him and with one another and in harmony with creation itself and there was no curse. And so the Sabbath helps us remember what we've lost and what we've been made for. But we also come together and we look forward We are really seeking to enter the rest that will one day come and be ours. The Sabbath helps us long for Jesus to come again when we will finally be part of the created order that works, that's redeemed, that doesn't work against us and frustrate us and oppose us, and we'll finally have joy and peace and true contentment. See, that's what the Sabbath is. That's what it's pointing to. And I shouldn't even have to say it, but let's ask the question, then, if that's what it is, why do we need that so badly? And again, this seems to be have no need of explanation. The statistics say 20% of Americans 18, excuse me, 40% of Americans 18 years old or older suffer from some kind of anxiety disorder. 75% of us didn't get enough sleep last night. We live frantic, restless, chaotic lives that offer no peace, no real joy. We're enslaved to our schedules, our commitments. We have no time for the things that really matter. We don't live with the Sabbath rest God offers us what we've been created for, and but what we have to know is it's part of our design. We need this. And you see, the Sabbath has reference to our work. We've been created to be laborers, to complete the work God has given us, and to enjoy and to join him in his rest. But something's gone wrong. 
We've rebelled against God, the scripture says, and brought about a fallenness that not only affects our humanity, but the created order itself, that thorns and thistles have begun to grow and our work is frustrated. This is what the Bible teaches. But the reason, the reason we're so frustrated in our work is because we're trying to accomplish something through our work that it was never intended to do. We're seeking a fulfillment in our work that it cannot provide. We're looking for a significance or a glory or a righteousness in our work that work can't produce. We're alienated from God, the Bible says. We're living without him at the center of our lives. And so Chris Wright, who's a commentator on the book of Deuteronomy, says, alienated from God as the source of our fulfillment and rest, we endow work and the whole economic enterprise with a significance beyond its God-given role. Work itself and the material produce it generates can then become an idol to be served without the limitation of God's own higher claim on our lives. In fact, it can come to dominate the whole of life and define our very existence. I mean, that's what's happened in our work. And what's going on here is there really is a deeper issue. Sorry, I lost the mic. Here it comes again. I don't know what it's doing. Welcome to church planting. There really is a deeper issue. There it is. So I'm yelling now, and then the mic decides to come on. Brilliant. And I want to say it this way to you this morning. There's a work that's underneath the work, and there's a rest that's underneath the rest. That ultimately, the Sabbath rest is about the state of our hearts in our work and not just the work itself. We're working so hard. But why are we working so hard? What's it exposing about the restlessness and the anxiety in our hearts? And what I want to say to you this morning as I've wrestled through myself this week, there's a fundamental unbelief that is still deeply rooted in us. That God is not at the center, and so we're working hard to save ourselves. We're trying to protect ourselves and provide for ourselves and get ahead and prove our value and our worth and to secure our futures and to make a name for ourselves. We feel vulnerable and insecure. And so we're trying to cover ourselves and complete ourselves through success and achievement. And it doesn't matter what the work is. I was on a women's retreat this past weekend. I'm just struck by how many of the ladies said, you know, I just want my kids to turn out okay because then I'll know I'm somebody. You know, and that's no different than the executive who works 80 hours a week to get the raise. You know, you are what you do. And that's what our culture believes. You are what you do. And so work is how I know I'm somebody. And the money and the security and, and the freedom and the, per, and the personal success that it provides is where I draw my strength from. And the, here's the irony. The irony is, is in all of our striving, what we want is rest, but we want a rest of our own making. We want it to be our work that brings the rest. We want it to be our strength that brings the rest. And then there's the fourth commandment. <laughs> and the fourth commandment says, stop working. And if I could state it simply, it's God commanding us to stop working one day in seven as a forced reminder that our life together as his people is not about achieving but receiving. The Sabbath is about stepping away from the illusion we're in control, that things really do depend on us and our productivity, and reminding ourselves God is running the world. I don't have to. He's providing for my needs. I don't have to. See, the teaching here in Deuteronomy is that only God can bring the true rest, and that's why we've got to stop. The Lord appeals to the Exodus there in chapter 5, verse 12, verse 15. He says, 
remember the Exodus and rest. And in the Exodus, God came to the, re- to the rescue of his people and provided rest for them. He saved them. He protected them. And it's really the story that's being woven throughout this book of Deuteronomy. He has redeemed them. He is providing, he's provided for them in their wilderness wanderings. He will bring them into the land that he has promised. He will fight for them and conquer their enemies and give them rest. He's saving them. That's the whole point of the story. It's the point of the, it's the, point of the feast that he, that he institutes here as a commemoration of the story of their salvation. Israel was to celebrate, you see that in verse 1 of chapter 16 at the bottom of your page? They were to celebrate the Passover. The night, the angel of death passed through Egypt to kill every firstborn son, but not in Israel, for the Lord gave them a command. He told them to kill a lamb and smear its blood on the door frames of their houses so that when he saw the blood, he would pass over the house. You see, the rest the Sabbath offers only comes when we're fully convinced of God's power to save and his heart toward us. And we can only fully come to understand the links to which God would go to give us rest by looking to the cross. Because you see, even the Passover there in Deuteronomy 16 foreshadows the cross where the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world hung to suffer and die and go to the grave. See, on the cross, when he barely had the strength to breathe, Jesus raised his voice in triumphant declaration, It is finished. The great work of God's salvation had been completed in Jesus. He'd lived a perfect life in perfect obedience to his Father's will. And because of his work, the gospel teaches us God smiles on us and we can rest. We can be at peace. We don't have to prove ourselves or protect ourselves or provide for ourselves any longer. There's nothing else for us to do but to stop trying to achieve all of that on our own and to rest in him. And so the gospel reminds me I'm not what I do, I'm his and he's mine. And so now, work doesn't have to be a way of, of saving ourselves. It can be offered to Jesus as an act of worship. Now we can truly work and we can do it well, but we can also rest and do it well also. And so I want to take the next, just the next few minutes as we come to a close together and try to get in a little more detail in this passage to talk about if that, is, if that is the rest that God offers, and that is why we need it so badly, then how do we even begin to do it? And you'll look, you see there in your worship folder, I titled this third point, Doing and Bringing Rest. How do we observe the Sabbath? How do we enter into Sabbath rest, and what practices does the Sabbath require of us? And so I just want to talk for, for just a few minutes, first about what it means to do rest, and then, very practically, what it means for us to bring rest. You see, this is where Deuteronomy 15 and 16 are so helpful. Deuteronomy begins, if you have your Bible open in front of you, you'll see it begins with the, the, the description, the Sabbath year. Now, this is fascinating, that when we talk about this idea of a Sabbath rest, that one day in seven, that, that the idea is so pervasive in the way that God has made the creation that the Lord told his people, I even want you to celebrate a Sabbath year. Now, I, by the way, I'm all for this. If we can figure out a way to do this, I hope you're with me in this, because the Sabbath year was this. You work for six years, and then you take a year off. Amen. Oh, we got an amen. Thank you. The microphone is doing funny things again, so I'm going to be yelling, and then it's going to come back on, and I'm going to hurt your ears. Um, So one year out of every seven, you stop your work. You cease from your laboring. 
even the ground, you, you, you wouldn't harvest the ground and you'd let whatever grow up naturally, you just eat whatever God provided through just the natural process of, of the earth bringing forth the fruit. And what was amazing was is it was a way for the whole community to really enter into the rest because even those who had no land were given right to come and to pick the, the, the produce from your land. And so e there was even this principle of a Sabbath year. It's just all is so central to what God understands to be the needs of us as those he's created in his image. And so we're called first to do rest. And here's what that means. It first means we have to stop. We have to stop. A.J. Jacobs, who is a secular uh, Jewish guy who wrote a book that is just absolutely hilarious. It's called The Year of Living Biblically. He decides he's going to try to follow the Bible as literally as he possibly can for um, for a whole year. And he talks about Sabbath, and he has a story in his book that is fascinating. He says, I, he said, I, you know, I didn't understand what Sabbath was until one day I got locked in the bathroom. He says, and I'm going to quote him, he says, for the first 10 minutes I try to escape. I bang on the door, shout for help, no answer. The next half hour I spend going through a checklist of worst case scenarios. What if I slip, cut my forehead on the bathtub and bleed to death and end up on the front page of the New York Post? What if there's a fire? He says, even more stressful to me is that the outside world is speeding along without me. Emails are being answered. Venti lattes are being sipped. I find this phrase, like George Bush's childhood friends are being appointed to high level positions. You can tell when he wrote, when he wrote the book and his political bent. He says, by 11 a.m., I've been the world, I've, I've become the world's greatest expert on the bathroom. By noon, I'm sitting on the floor, and something odd begins to happen. I know that outside the bathroom, the world is speeding along, but I'm okay with it. It doesn't cause my shoulders to tighten, nothing I can do about it. I've reached an unexpected level of acceptance. For once, I'm savoring the present. I'm admiring what I have, even if it's 32 square feet of fake marble. told you it's funny. He says, I start to pray. And perhaps for the first time I pray in true peace and silence without glancing at the clock, without my brain hopscotching from topic to topic. This is what the Sabbath, this, he's a secular, he's a sec, he doesn't even believe in God, let alone Jesus. He says, this is what the Sabbath should feel like. A pause, not just a minor pause, but a major pause, not just a lowering of the volume, but a muting and so to do Sabbath, we have to stop. We have to pause. We have to slow down. We have to push mute. We have to rest. But the rest is not just for rest itself. It serves to prepare us for an even greater work. And God commands rest. All over the scripture, God commands rest for the purpose of worshiping and remembering in the context of the faith community. And that's going to become very important. See, part of the Sabbath rhythm for Israel was not just one day in seven, but three times a year, all the Israelites gathered together in Jerusalem to celebrate the appointed liturgical feasts. And you'll see those in chapter 16. Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. And these feasts were strategic. They were, an, I would say it this way, they were an institutionalized remembrance. They were to help Israel rehearse the story of their salvation from year to year. They were to help them remember Egypt. They were week-long worship services, you might, call, you, might, you might call them. And God commands them, and you see it over and over again in the verses that we read there, at the, the last paragraph on your page there, 
as, as Israel celebrates these feasts, he commands them to rejoice and celebrate and feast together. That they were celebrating God's salvation, his provision, and his rest. And the most important reality that God was trying to get at with them was that they would, that they would come together and that they would rejoice. Uh, it's so powerful. I've never, I never in all of my life heard this, but it was such a powerful and so important to the Lord that in Deuteronomy 14, just before this, and no preacher ever told me this growing up, I've got to tell you, but in Deuteronomy 14, Moses says, take your tithe. And here's the word, here's the wording that Moses says. <clears throat> you shall take your tithe, you shall turn it into money, and with the money, spend the money for whatever you desire, for oxen, sheep, wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat before the Lord and rejoice. So that's what we're going to do in about 30 minutes. Although it's Fred's, I'm sorry, Jonathan, you seem very disappointed in the fact that it's Fred's. Take your tithe, take 10% and have a party to the glory of God. And then he says, but here's this, the other part, the other part, and then bring everybody together. You see how everybody in these verses, how everybody comes together, your son, your daughter, your slaves, the Levites, the aliens, the strangers, everybody was to be, those without a family were to be invited to celebrate along with the family, and the poor and the weak and the outcasts were to be included. So he tells us to do rest, that we are to cease, but we're to cease for the purpose of worship and celebration and remembrance and then he says, not only are we to do rest, but we are to bring rest. And we find that in chapter 14, and I'm about out of time, and so I'm just going to have to, I'm going to have to just say a couple of points so we can get to the Lord's Supper this morning. And in chapter 14, Moses, or excuse me, chapter 15, Moses gives the people this legislation about the Sabbath year and about the cancellation of debts. In Israel, if there were no 30-year mortgages, in Israel, if you went into debt, you would, you would find someone who was willing to loan you the money to get out of debt, and then at the end of seven, you were to pay them back before the seventh year. And if the seventh year came and you were not able to pay them back, then, then those, your creditors were demanded by God to cancel the debt. And the point was to make sure that the people could, had ways of keeping themselves from getting into poverty. And the Lord is passionate about this. Chapter 15 is more densely emphatic than any other passage in the entire book of Deuteronomy. And when you want to emphasize, you often repeat a phrase. And so I'll put Abby to bed at night sometimes, and she'll say, Daddy, I love you so very, 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 very much. Right? Like 19 varies. Because it's emphatic. It happens four times in 10 verses here. This is very important to the Lord. And then there's this huge summary statement in verse 4 when he says, There shall be, there will be no poor among you. God was so, going to so richly bless them that there would be enough for everybody to have all they needed. And the early church obviously took this to heart in Acts chapter 2. So part of observing the Sabbath is engaging the brokenness of fallen human society and bringing rest and shalom to those who don't have it. Now, some specifics. He tells us, don't harden your heart. In verse 7, 9, and 10 of chapter 15, in other words, it's possible for you to remain cynical and unaffected by the poor and the needy, and that's really dangerous. Don't remain aloof from the needs around you. Allow your heart to break. He says, don't have an evil eye. Be careful of cultural values and attitudes that will work against the work that Moses is giving us. And he says, what I want you to do is open your hands to the poor and the needy 
and the hand is the symbol of power and authority. So use whatever power and influence and authority you have. Don't hold on to your money or your possessions. Don't clutch those things in your hand in self-preservation, but give and be generous. And so we do rest. <clears throat> we bring rest. And that this is really the force of our obedience to the fourth command. So on this side of the cross, what is the obedience of faith? And I want to take one minute. I was going to take about four, but I'm going to take one minute and just say it this way to you, okay? First, we have to settle on what we believe the duties of the day are. And once we've done that, then we have to give ourselves to those things. I have in mind things like worship. This service should be very important. It should be one of the things that is non-negotiable on your calendar, being in community with one another, having meals together, doing mercy and justice, visiting the sick and the elderly, and going to the nursing homes of our city. And that, there, and that when, you, when you figure out what the duties are, then you have to figure out what you have to not do in order to be able to do and bring rest. Secondly, that means we're going to have to prepare. Let me just read this quote to you. A.J. Jacobs, the guy I mentioned earlier, says, I used to orient my week around Monday, the start of the work week. Now it's the Sabbath. Everything leads to the Sabbath. On Friday mornings, I start prepping for it like I'm going on a big date. But when the sun, I make a huge pot of coffee so I don't have to do anything resembling cooking on the Sabbath. And when the sun sets, I flip off my computer and get to work not working because resting is paradoxically difficult. And by the end of Saturday, as the sun finally sets, I feel as if I've done something strenuous but healthy. It feels good, like I deserve the endorphin rush the Sabbath gave me. And then I would start looking forward to next week. Start looking forward to next week. I mean, he gets it, and he's secular. So. Figure out the duties of the day, what, you're, what we're called to do, and then what you're called to not do in order to be able to do those things. There has to be a preparation from the, for the day. And then I would just remind you, remember, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He has said from the cross, it is finished. And he says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the rest you bring. Uh, bring us into that rest, and may it be to your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Jesus, I am resting, resting is one of my favorite songs. And my favorite line is, in the song is just the phrase that says, resting neath your smile, Lord Jesus. The promise of the benediction is that if your faith is in Christ Jesus, then you go, and in your going, you have the promise of resting beneath his smile. Uh, and those are the good words that are spoken, spoken over you in the benediction. So receive his benediction this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace and celebrate to the Lord.